Thanks for listening to the Granary Church Podcast. For more information, head to granary.org.au or follow us on social media at The Granary Church. One day this week, a young man and his wife who had been putting some things into their storage shed across the road, came over after they'd finished and uh, came over for a coffee. And they sat in our cafe out there and our cafe manager, Deb, could see that they were a little bit sad. And so she sat with them and uh, just began conversing with them over their coffee. And it came out that this young couple were quite sad because a cafe which they had invested a lot of their life into had been closed now due to COVID and a couple of other things. Not only closed, but it wasn't able to open again. And the landlord who uh, they were renting the cafe premises from had given them this brief period of time to get everything out, everything, tiles off the walls, and it was a huge job because it was quite a big cafe. And so Deb prayed with that young couple and we've actually had the opportunity a couple of times this week to pray with them and I just want us to pray for them now. So will you join with me? Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for Nathan and his wife and his three young children, Lord God. We pray that you will bless that family and strengthen them and in the midst of this uh, tragedy, Lord, this difficult period, that you will draw them to yourself and you will be their comfort and you'll reveal yourself to them. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's the upside of what happened. As Deb shared with that young couple what God is doing here and the fact that down in Mayfield we have taken over a building, we're changing part of it into a cafe and the rest of it into a place where we distribute food and meals and uh, we sell cheap groceries and give away bread and so on. As Deb shared that vision, this young man said, come down to my cafe and get whatever you want. He said, because it's just a burden on me right now to even think about putting all this stuff on Gumtree, come down and just take it, take whatever you want. So this week, for quite a few days, we've been moving 80 chairs, 20 square cafe tables, 10 round cafe tables and 20 stools to go with them, drink fridges, display cabinets, stainless steel bench tops, right down to the little metal reserved signs that you put on a table in a cafe for no cost. He was just saying, please get rid of it. So we've been down there for a few days helping him you know, clean the place out and putting it all into storage here down at 252. And we are in the middle of this series, We Can Eat and Drink Together. And I know that God's heart and his hand of blessing is upon that family. We're going to keep in touch with them and, and really bless them. And I'd love maybe one day to bring them in here and honour them and say thank you for what you've done because they, whether they know it or not, they have been the hand of God blessing the vision that we have here for extending hospitality not only within the church but outside of our church into our local community. And God has, you know, we just feel so incredibly humbled and blessed that God has provided for us tens of thousands of dollars worth of 
things we would have had to buy anyway, God has just given it to us. Because I believe God's heart is for hospitality. God's heart is to reach out to those people, uh, to, to every lost person, and to welcome them in. And, food, you know, food and drink are such an important part of the welcome that we offer to people. And so we just, I, I just want to say thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for providing that stuff this week. Amazing. It's a miracle, an absolute miracle. But um, I encourage you to pray for that young couple um, and, and praise God for them and, and pray for them as well. Um, now go back a slide, Ian, because we are going to look at today Mikasa Sukasa or a man's home is his castle. Now they are two very different things. Two very different things. My home is your home or my castle is your castle versus a man's home is his castle. A man's home is his castle is when a man gets home from work and he draws up the drawbridge and shuts all the shutters and says, I'm home now. Don't bother me. I just want to sit. I've had a hard day at work, blah, blah, Might be a woman. That might be a woman's um, feeling as well. My, my home is my castle. Everyone else, stay away. And on the other hand, we have, and, and I've got to be honest with you, I'll tell you a bit more about this in a sec, but that's sort of the atmosphere I grew up in in my family. I, I uh, spent my first 10 years living in England. My family came out here as 10-pound poms back in the 1960s. And back in England, I, 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 when I was preparing this message, I was trying to think, when were the times when my family were sort of uh, mi casa, su casa, welcome to my home and let come, and over, come over and have dinner? And I couldn't think of one time where we ever had someone for dinner. And then I thought, what about when we came to Australia? And I thought, no, it didn't change there either because it's really about our, our, our culture but it's about who we are and how we think as well. Whereas the Mikasa Sukasa thing is very much, that kind of idea is very much a Southern European or Mediterranean, North African um, kind of cultural uh, behaviour and cultural belief. Um, in September, October last year, some of you here were over in Israel with us and we spent some time amongst the Bedouins. And, uh, you know, the culture of the Bedouins in hospitality is amazing. It's, it's just this incredibly welcoming and hospitable culture. And uh, I don't know about you, but when, when I, um, well, probably for all of us, who are married, when you get married, there's some adjusting to do because you came from a different family to each other. I mean, who puts the bins out, him or her? Who fills the car with petrol, dad or mum? You know, there's a whole lot of adjusting you have to do. But if you come from either a, an interracial kind of marriage or a, a marriage where two cultures have been very different, um, then you've got a lot more adjusting to do. And when I married my beautiful wife down here, she was from Mikasa Sukasa and I was from a man's home is his castle. And so we had incredibly different cultures. In my, in my home when I was growing up, we were very British. We had meat and three veg and the three veg were peas, carrots and potatoes. Okay, you with me? And Audrey's family were from this um, sort of, well, her grandparents are French and Italian on one side and uh, Spanish and Turkish on the other side and they migrated here from Egypt 
So you can imagine the mixture of sort of food and, and so on. But that Southern European culture and, and uh, Egyptian, it's so different to the culture that I grew up in. And so Audrey's um, spiritual gift, one of them is hospitality as well. So I got the double whammy. I went from the meat and potatoes to uh, goodbye potatoes, hello rice. But, um, but as well as that, it was goodbye 12-minute dinner times where we, you know, had to be quick because uh, we needed to get back to Gilligan's Island on TV or whatever it was. I went from that to when I visited Audrey's place for dinner, you know, an hour and a half later, we were still sitting around the table arguing about things and arguing about politics and they'd be sitting around the table conversing in French, Italian and English. And I knew when they were talking about me because it was French or Italian, (laughs) you know. You just get that feeling, you know, because suddenly it switched to one of those languages. But the thing is this, recent research has shown that 60 years ago, the average meal time in America that, that a family would sit around the dinner table was actually 90 minutes. And, a, and recently they redid that study and the average meal time in America these days is 12 minutes. 12 minutes spent together eating around the table for a family and then off to other things, probably not Gilligan's Island, but probably something on the phone, something on the iPad, Netflix, whatever, you name it, anything other than family warmth and interaction around the table of hospitality. So let's go on to the next slide now. This biblical idea of hospitality, the New Testament Greek word is philoxenia. Philo coming from one of the Greek words for love. And the the kind of love, phileo, is family love. It's a love between a parent and a child or a love between um, brothers and sisters. So that kind of idea of family love and ksenia is the Greek word which is... um, relates to the cultural expression of hospitality, sharing life together, having a meal together, not only with those who are close to you, but with perhaps um, associates and strangers as well. Ksenia, okay, that's that that idea. And there is a, there are a couple of restaurants up the north coast that are actually called Ksenia. Audrey and I saw one of those just a month or so ago when we were up the north coast. The idea is hospitality, warmth, sitting down and eating together. And there is a richness about doing that. There is something incredibly rich about sharing hospitality together. And not only um, is it is it a human thing, but it actually originates in the heart of God because God is a hospitable God. He welcomes people to his table. You think about the picture of a, ta- a, a table or a feast in the Bible. And uh, one day there's going to be a wedding feast, isn't there? A wedding feast of the Lamb that God's going to welcome us into. When Jesus was uh, talking about coming into a person's life and, and a person becoming born again and becoming a Christian, he said this, Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with him and he with me. So that picture of Jesus coming into a person's life is actually a picture of sharing life, sharing hospitality together, eating a meal together, sharing uh, around this idea of a meal. And so let's uh, go to the next slide. 
So Jesus himself on the night before he was crucified was going through with his disciples the Passover supper. Now, if you've never experienced a Passover supper, when we have them here at the granary from time to time, I encourage you to come along because it is such a rich experience. To God's chosen covenant people, the Jews, the Passover, which uh, I'm sure we know the story, the people of Israel were uh, trapped in Egypt, in slavery, in bondage to a cruel people who were taking the babies of the people of Israel and killing them when they were born. It was a terrible, terrible situation they were in. And on the night of the Passover, God set them free, set them free from slavery, set them free from cruelty, set them free from uh, being in in a foreign land and brought them out of Egypt on the way to the promised land. And so the Passover meal reenacts that whole thing. And God said to Israel, I want you to never forget what I did when I brought you out of slavery. And the way we're going to remember that is around a meal. We're going to have a meal together which celebrates and symbolizes what God did when he brought his people, covenant people, out of slavery. And so Jesus, when he brings up that picture of our salvation, when he brings us out of slavery to sin, when he brings us out of the sort of slavery to the world's ways that we that we were in, he has that same picture. He gives this picture of eating and drinking and a meal. And there is something incredibly powerful when our spiritual life is natural and our natural life is spiritual. And the meal is especially a place where that can happen. So in the context of this meal, where Jesus was celebrating with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed and he he took the bread, the Passover bread, and he broke it and gave it a new meaning. He took the wine and he said, drink this, this is my blood. He gave it a new meaning. But it was incredibly powerful in the context of that sort of uh, hospitality. And when it comes to hospitality, which is phylloxenia, it's not just about eating and drinking together. It's about the phylo as well. It's about the, the reason why we do it. It's about the motivation. It's about the love that we as Christians are called not just to do, but to be. You know, the New Testament says God is love and we're to be like him. So we're to be love as well, not just do love, but to be love. And so when we we get the opportunity to um, be like Jesus, we get the opportunity to extend hospitality. And so the early church, after Jesus died and rose and went to heaven, the early church took on this idea. Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs uh, that were done by the apostles. So the breaking of bread, eating together, was an important part. It was such an important part of the life of the early church that it's mentioned here right alongside teaching and fellowship and prayer. You know, the big four. Isn't that amazing? And yet we hear so much about prayer and we focus so much on fellowship and we really benefit from teaching. But what about the breaking of bread? It's up there. It's in the big four that they practiced as an early church. And just to reinforce that, a couple of verses later, we read this. 
that every day, every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They had their big meeting like this. This is the temple courts. This is where the big gathering of Christians gathered together and there was teaching and so on happening in the temple courts. But they also broke bread in their homes and they ate together. Verse 42, they broke bread together. Here, they broke bread together and they ate together in their homes three times. It said, hey, they ate together, they ate together, they sat down at meal together, at table together, and they had relationship with each other and it was rich and it was so beautiful and so countercultural that God added to their number daily those that were being saved because they looked at that richness of body life within the, the church of Jesus Christ and they saw the power of prayer that brought people to healing. They saw teaching that went against much of the teaching of the day, but it, it just rang true in the people's hearts. But they also saw the love, the love that was expressed together. And that, that, um, that same thing was expressed through the writings of Paul in the New Testament. So he talked about the church that meets at their house. He talked about the church in her house, the church that meets in your home, because the home was just as important as the temple. And the home was the place where they met together and they fellowshiped and they ate together. And there was a richness and a beauty about it that was actually quite spiritual. Your natural life is spiritual and your spiritual life is natural. In fact, it became known after a while as a love feast. The meeting together in the home where they would break bread in a, like a form of communion and then they would share a meal became known as a love feast. So it, it was, again, that phylake senya. It was out of love. It was, there was an evidence of love and an expression of love. And there was a feasting as well that happened. But the thing is, both in this scripture, Jude 1, which reads, these people are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. So there and in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where we often read at our communion services on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus broke bread, took bread and broke it and so on. But the rest of that chapter is all about Paul castigating, chastising the people because when they came together, some people were gluttons and were eating a whole lot and other people went hungry and there was no care for one another. They'd lost the love and in that they lost the feast as well. And so Paul had to bring it back together and say, hey, look, don't let anything ruin that your love feasts. Don't let anything ruin. Not gluttony, not the gluttony of quality. Do you know what the gluttony of quality is? This is what the gluttony of quality is. You watch several of those TV shows, MasterChef, all those ones. Some of you probably love it and that's fine. And there's nothing wrong with producing really nice food. But when you let that become your benchmark for whether you can offer hospitality or not, it has become a destructive and a negative thing. Because you know what? A lot of people would like to sit at your table and just have very simple fare placed in front of them. Because it's not just about the food. It's good to have nice food, but what's more important is the love and what goes on around that food. And look, 
I'm, I'm looking around here. I know I've got some men who are good cooks in here, chefs by profession and so on. But I'm looking at some of you other blokes and you're thinking, yeah, what about me? You know, I cannot cook. You know, this is Australia, boys. You take a tube of meat. <laughs> you throw it on a hot piece of metal. When it's black on one side, you turn it over in between, you know, you turn it over. When it's black all round, you put it in a bit of bread and you smother it with sauce so no one can see it's black and it's beautiful. Come on, who hasn't been to Bunnings and gone, oh, oh that smells so good. We don't have to have the, the gluttony of quality. It's great when a nice meal is put before us. When my family met Audrey and she started coming to my house, my mum made a big effort and she learned to cook macaroni cheese. <laughs> Pasta with a bit of cheese sprinkled on top. And that was different to meat and three veg. But, you know, it wasn't a fantastic meal, but it was just the fact that we were together and, you know, enjoying relationship together and so on. So I know I'm going to have to move quick here. So Ian, quickly uh, slip through the next slide to the five love languages. There we go. So most of you have probably heard of the five love languages. There was a book written by Dr. Gary Smalley and he explained how love can be expressed and received in different ways. And a lot of people, <laughs> don't read on yet. Come on, you're ruining it. Just wait, stay with me. Okay, so... Love can be expressed in these different ways. Words of affirmation. You look nice today. Wow, that, that's great. Hey, I really like what you did the other day. Saying positive things. I, you know, I really appreciate you. You do a great job at this. Words of affirmation. My wife is a words of affirmation person. She loves to give affirmation and to receive affirmation. So, you know, at birthday time, a card with some really nice sentiments on it is of much more worth than some other things, although all gifts and so on are appreciated. <laughs> Acts of service. You can show and receive love by doing something for someone. Hey, honey, I'll do the vacuum cleaning tonight or whatever, you know, whatever it is. I'll put the kids to bed. Let me do this for you. Or, you know, someone comes home from work and, and there's his pipe and slippers laid out in front of the fireplace, which is, yeah, come on, get real. <laughs> Receiving gifts. Giving and receiving presents, you know, that's the way we give and receive love, quality time. Spending time, just spending time together, doing something together and physical touch, just that, that hug, that handshake, that touch on the arm or the shoulder that just says you are loved and you are cherished. Now, if Deb Cook was preaching this message, these would be her examples. Your coffee is delicious. Words of affirmation. I made you a coffee, act of service. Here's a coffee. It's a gift. Quality time. Let's go get a coffee. You know what that means? You're going to sit down and talk to each other. And physical touch. Let me hold you like a coffee. That one's a bit tenuous, I know. That one's stretching it a little bit. That's okay. Just stay with me. But this is my thesis, that the five love languages are all encapsulated in a meal together. When somebody invites you for a meal, 
you are going to sit down and talk with them and hopefully there'll be some words of affirmation and some good things said as you sit together around the table. There will be, it's an act of service. When you go in and someone's cooked you a meal, even if it's just the snag on the barbie, whatever, it's an act of service that they've done for you. They've done it for you. Receiving gifts, food, that food is a gift to you. It's, you know, you, you don't go to someone's house and they go, yeah, that'll be $2 and the coffee will be $1.50. You know, it's a gift. It's a gift to you. Quality time. It's spending quality time with each other. And there is nothing more physical than food because it touches the whole of our five senses, our sight and, you know, to, to hear food, those sausages sizzling on the barbecue. <laughs> you can tell the only thing I can cook, can't you, really, you know. Anyway. But it does, our taste buds and our smell and so on. It's all incredibly physical thing. And so food is, it's just, it encompasses, especially when it's offered in that spirit of love, it encompasses the, the very idea of love itself, that thinking of the other person and giving to the other person and acceptance and so on. Okay, practice hospitality, Romans chapter 13. But unfortunately... This is what mealtime has become for a lot of people today. Am I right in our culture? Have you ever walked past a restaurant and seen not just the kids but mum and dad looking at their phone around that restaurant table? It's incredible, isn't it? Sorry if, if your family does this. <laughs> you know, be the light. Just put it away and try and get some conversation going and see what happens. But, you know, this is, this is the poverty of relationship that exists so much in our society. And we, the church, have got the answer, and it's called a love feast. Come on, how about this week? How about just today even? We pray and we ask the Holy Spirit to put someone on your heart who you could have over for a meal. How about we ask Holy Spirit that when you meet someone this week, and God wants, there. that's an opportunity to have an expression of love around in your home, whether it's even if it's only just coffee and cake, how about we ask the Holy Spirit to put that on your heart to make that real? And I'm looking down here and I'm seeing John here. Give everyone a wave, John, and Fiona. Give everyone a wave, Fiona. Fiona and her husband, David, took under their wing one of our newly arrived African-Australian families and... A couple of weeks ago, I had the absolute privilege right here of dedicating John and Florence's little baby to the Lord, a little baby named after Fiona's husband, David, because Fiona and David took them in to their table and have, have had fellowship and hospitality and one to the other. It goes both ways. Giving is receiving. And I just want to honour you guys because you have been an absolute example, you know. Thank you. Well done. Give, let's give them a, you know, come on. Because at 12 o'clock today in that room there, there's going to be uh, about 15 or more families that are gathering together that are African Australians and boy can they worship. But I tell you what, they need to be at our dinner tables, not just on the end of our handshakes but at our dinner tables. The opportunities exist within the body and outside of the body of Christ, but we need to be, not everybody's gift is hospitality. It's harder for some than for others, but we're all called 
to be hospitable. When you saw that verse, Romans chapter uh, 13, I think it was, be hospitable, there's no subject and there's no object to that sentence. Who is the subject? You. You, we, be hospitable. To who? Who are the object? No object. To everyone. We, be hospitable to all. Father God, thank you that you have shown hospitality to us, Lord, in drawing us into your family, making us brothers and sisters, bringing us to this uh, feast of, of our souls and our spirits, which is uh, the body of Christ. And Lord, we thank you for this great nation that we live in, where we have so much prosperity, Lord God, and where we never or very rarely go hungry. And Lord, I pray that out of our abundance, but especially out of the, the abundance of our love for one another, that you will help us this week and in the coming weeks to become such a hospitable people that the world will take note and that you will add to our number daily those who are being saved. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.